Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where you learn what you need to know about how the world wants to work. And now your host, co-working space owner and trend expert, Jamie Russo. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is Jamie Russo. Thank you for joining me today. Today's guest is Zubin Kantinwala, and I think you're going to be really interested in this episode because co-warehousing is, is the new black, I think. He is the COO for Saltbox. They just raised $10 million in funding, not their first round of funding. They are open in Atlanta and Dallas and expanding next to Seattle. It's a really interesting model. They bring folks that need entrepreneurs who work with physical goods and give them flexible warehouse space and logistics support. And they layer on additional services, including labor, eventually, you know, other fulfillment services and certainly co-working amenities and community. So they you know, run a model that sounds pretty basic in terms of shared warehousing space, but they can really make a big impact on the members that they serve in terms of helping them advance their businesses, going from the garage to shared warehousing, which is a, a huge gap in the market. So I think it's really interesting to, even if you run kind of a standard co-working model to hear what are other folks doing? How are they adding value what types of relationships do they have with their landlord? So Saltbox runs on a management or creative partnership, um, you know, type of model. Zubin's background, he comes from Industrious. He ran real estate at Industrious. And then before that, he was with Common, which is a, a co-living uh, provider. So he brings kind of a, a long running, you know, framework for what's possible and, and what's evolving in these different types of models. So his story is really interesting. He shares the salt box model, you know, sort of who they serve, what problems they're solving, you know, what their model looks like compared to traditional co-working, what their management agreement approach looks like kind of at a high level. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I definitely did. Um, a big shout out to Giovanni who connected me to Zubin really quickly before we dive in. We've just released our 2021 co-working tech and tools guide. If you don't have it yet, uh, grab your copy at everythinggoworking.com forward slash tech and tools 2021. A few episodes ago, I did a kind of a, a deep dive run through of the results, but you can grab the actual physical guide with all the, you know, sections, make your checklist run through, see, you know, what you're missing under each bucket. So grab your copy at everythingcoworking.com forward slash tech and tools 2021. And now I'll dive into my conversation with Zubin. Zubin, thank you for joining me today. I'm here with Zubin Kantinwala. He is the COO of Saltbox, which is co-warehousing for modern commerce. So Zubin's going to tell us about the model and about his background and how he got to Saltbox and, and where they're going. But Zubin, Giovanni Pelvicini introduced us and I think there's a lot of excitement around co-warehousing and sort of co-working, but 
in a different sector of commercial real estate. And so I'm excited to hear what Saltbox is up to and your perspective on the industry because you have a, a fairly unique background. So thanks for taking the time. I'm sure you are <laughs> busy these days. You just raised a round of funding. So I suspect there are a lot of growth plans on your plate. So thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Appreciate the, the offer to chat. You are at your home office in New Jersey. Yeah. I love um, your paint color, by the way. We're about to paint our office and we're doing like a dark navy, which looks kind of like <laughs> what you have back <laughs> there. <laughs> this was this was done for all the people who sit on calls with me and had to stare at a visual for, for the first time. Totally. Six of, of I know. <laughs> we uh we just turned a guest room into a second office because now my husband, you know, is home all the time. And he was like, he has some birds in his background. And he was like, we need to remove the birds. <laughs> Can I get a shelf? So that's uh, that's our next project. So I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of your story and your background and how you ended up at Saltbox. And then let's dive into the Saltbox model. Yeah. I, I can I can start pretty high level and then kind of get into kind of the more specific aspect of the, the journey that's relevant uh, to, to the conversation. So I've been in startups pretty much since since day one. Started as an operator and then went into to venture capital for about six or seven years, investing in clean tech and then sustainability and all different types of business models that fall under those themes. I really wanted to get back into building a company and I hadn't really had the direct experience. I'd been more of a junior operator earlier in my career. So left and found uh, a company called Alt School, which was sort of at that time trying to you know build a school system across the US. I, I joined you in No New small York plans. Too. I'm just going to no, <laughs> build a no, new this school was, system. <laughs> this was aim, aim for the moon, raise a ton of money build, hire a bunch of really great people from different industries, primarily tech related, and then try and do something that's that's really difficult. And so long story short, it, it's really difficult to build a school system, <laughs> but it got me exposed to kind of this world of like, you know, brick and mortar meets consumer tech and like new kind of consumer experience offered. How do you deliver against that promise? You know, partly like, how do you, you know, I, I launched New York for them to so help them open up two schools in New York. And how do you handle local operations versus central operations? And and so, you know, basically took that experience. I, I you know, got introduced to a founder of a company called Common, which was sort of new at the time, doing this thing around co-living. Hadn't heard of co-living, didn't know what it was, didn't know if I would be interested in it. But it was basically like a continuation of what I thought I was doing at Salt School, which was taking a kind of a brick and mortar type business um, trying to add some, at the time we talked a lot about community, but trying to add some like services and kind of, you know, sort of differentiation to how the product was received by our tenants and, and build it into a national, you know, brand. And so I spent several years there, starting with a few people who were kind of sales and marketing and then, and then kind of growing out, you know, the, the entire kind of member life cycle from, you know, after they enter our website, what do we do with them as a sales team? What happens? How, how do they onboard them into a, a property? How do we manage their experience within the property? How do we manage the physical property itself? I see themes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I hear and, themes, I say. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the business is growing. So we have to think about people operations, business operations. So, you know, we, this sort of, it's, it's kind of interesting with these businesses, like at that time, like we were too naive to realize what we were doing is we were just building a property management company. We were just doing it against this 
particular type of living called co-living. But the moment I think we started to realize like co-living is just like really, really hard property management. Right, right. You know, we, totally. We, 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 because um, the property piece is the easy part, right? It's the hospitality and the, you know, getting the member insights, right? And running all that, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot to dive into on like whether like, you know, the mentality was certainly around like, let's bring the consumer delight layer to this, you know, property management industry. The reality though, for the business, which is important for, for any of these businesses is like, People, people leave because you aren't cleaning their space well or because you aren't addressing their billing concern or because, you know, you, uh, you, know you, you set the wrong expectations to them about what the experience would be like. It's not, and then all the stuff on top of it, for me, is a, a luxury you create if you've got the services, right? So that was sort of, you know, our early mentality common is like, let's get really good at like services and do it at scale, which implied building kind of a central operating engine. And then, and then we started to take on kind of traditional multifamily buildings to, to help grow the company. And that's, I think they've, they've continued in that direction quite aggressively to basically expand their, their footprint is by taking on, you know, existing multifamily buildings as a way of being a better operator for those buildings. Is so, their model all managed services? They don't own the asset. They manage yeah, it. All, as, okay. They're, they're an operator, at least as far yep. as I, when I was there, I think they've stayed true to that where they... Uh, we'll either be in, I guess, initially some, it was a lease-based business, but very early transition to management agreements and and sort of, you know, being a more of a, I guess, aligned partner with the the owner. And so that was also my my first foray into, you know, managed management agreements and the relationship that, that operators have with real estate owners and real estate capital. And so I was approaching it from more of the standpoint of like the operator of the property. So I had a very kind of, you know, different experience there than really had what I had at Industrious, which is my next, you know, step where I, I ran the real estate team at Industrious. And so, you know, it's kind of kind of interesting coming from an operator, operator's perspective because, you know, at Common, you are the recipient of real estate and you work closely with real estate to make sure, you know, there's a line around underwriting and like the right types of partners, the right locations. But it's kind of like giving, you know, me the keys to the castle when you give me responsibility for making those decisions for, for the company <laughs> yeah. because now I can do things the way I wanted to as an operator. And so that was sort of the the objective at Industrious was, you know, they had already shifted to to management agreements by the time I got there. Okay. The question was like, how do we grow quickly? And how do we grow like responsibly? And like, you know, that was a lot of lessons in a very short period of time. But you know, how do you take these these businesses and and help them both position management agreements the right way, but also understand how to take risks and manage risk, you know, in a, you know, a world where you have venture capital fueling these businesses and they need to grow quickly. Like, you know, real estate isn't designed to move at the paces. It is not (laughs) often, particularly Um, with the managed agreement model. Right. I mean, one of the trade-offs there is, you know, how, right. How quickly can you move to get those deals done versus a traditional lease? Although the traditional lease process is also not moving at the speed of light. Yeah, exactly. And so you have, it's kind of like, if you look at the stakeholders in, in the world of these, these operators, on one hand, you've got, you know, the, the investors who are, you know, pushing risk and like that's that's their businesses. They need to create you know outsized returns. So risk is something they they need. The operators put in the middle of real estate partners and real estate capital or lenders who are in some cases very averse to taking risk. And so it's sort of like balancing balancing those stakeholders, which is just for me it was fascinating to be a part of that. You had that mindset from your VC days, which is 
Is it yeah. it's fairly unusual for somebody to leave venture capital and operate? Is that true? I I mean I've heard heard, heard of many stories of people leaving, but I think okay. we ought, we each have our own reasons for wanting yeah. to, to leave. And I think you know mine was really around you know proving to myself that I could I could do it myself. And also venture capital is a bit of a, a lonely sport as well. You're not really in a team situation and right. like kind of in the thick of it. You kind of like you know, advise companies and sit on boards and like you check in with them frequently, but you're not sharing yeah, the successes and failures yeah. in the same way. Yeah. Yep. So for better or worse, I, I like to live the pain uh, of being in the startup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so was it industrious, COVID hit, left as a result of that, consulted last summer to uh, a variety of different kind of real estate driven companies all around the theme of kind of flexibility so did short-term rentals, was with a, a modular architecture company, and Softbox was one of the companies that I was advising. So just got really close to the team, and uh, they're very small, but but very ambitious and exciting, and we can get into it, but like very, very different approach to kind of the, the member-operator relationship that got me very excited about what they're doing. So I'm curious, you joined a team during COVID, August, October? I started advising them back in May or June last year. Okay. And then joined uh, October. Uh, full, full, yeah. Full, full time. Yeah. So where is the rest of the team located? We're all over, but but yeah. the heart of the company was uh, in Atlanta. And so the yep. three co-founders are based there. Okay. And yeah, I think this is a now a normal kind of COVID story. Of I, I hadn't met them in the beginning. I, I only met Tyler, the CEO, maybe a month ago for the first time. When he <laughs> came up to New yeah. Also for, for personal reasons, I haven't traveled. So I haven't actually been to the salt boxes yet, which is something I'm solving in two weeks now. So I'm very excited to kind of get down there. But the the team is is starting to become uh, larger and widespread. So we're hiring, you know, sort of all over the country for for what we call kind of our more kind of central roles, and then the location staff will be where the the salt box is open. Yes. Yeah, so talk to us about the salt box model. We've had a couple of, we've had palletized on. I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of the kind of more local brands. Ecom spaces work is is in Atlanta, kind of a, a smaller yeah. version of, of what you're doing. And so I think we know a little bit about the model, but yeah, I'd, l- I'd love to hear the salt box story. Yeah. The, the business is there to serve primarily the kind of the SMB commerce merchants. And these are you know, the companies that we all have experiences with daily that sell on Etsy or eBay or they use kind of Shopify as the front end. And there are at least, you know, from what I've, I've seen, like hundreds of thousands of these businesses around the U.S. It's crazy. Like, just think about all the products you can buy. There's there's real businesses behind these. And they range in size from like the, the sole entrepreneur who just started, a, you know, a product and launched out of their home to companies that have, you know, millions in revenue and are, you know, operating and, and trying to grow. And so Saltbox was really there to to say, well, these businesses, one one common problem that they have is they don't really have a great way of interfacing with the real estate world. And so what we see is a lot of our members come from essentially working from home, keeping their inventory in their garage or I, I was gonna ask you where yeah. do they come? I, that's what I was picturing. They come from the garage because there seems like such an enormous gap from I mean, similar to co-working, right? If you have a you know, yeah. you run a little business, there's a huge gap between home or coffee shop and signing a five-year lease. And for for co-warehousing or warehousing, I guess, you're looking at probably a, a, real min- a big minimum requirement for space that is a 
big yeah. jump for them from garage to what's next. Yeah, it's it's partly a big commitment. It's also the similar you know issue that COVID solved is that you can't find small spaces. Like where do you find like a two hundred square there. foot, yep. you know, warehouse suite or a five thousand square foot suite? Like it doesn't exist. There's no channel to go and find it other than Craigslist. And so, so yeah, the, the salt box is basically it's a warehouse we operate and we we turn it into small spaces. That's like the simplest, you know, explanation of what what we do. But it gets a lot more interesting as we start to understand, like, you know, the pain points that these businesses have are creating an opportunity for us to layer in like real kind of, you know, operational logistic services to to help them run their business, which you know ranges from we have flexible storage that's available to them on site and off site. We have you know, a team we call kind of our e-force or elastic workforce. This is basically like trained warehouse staff that are able to handle basic functions or projects, or, or in some cases, members have actually programmed program them into their business. They they basically use our app to, to, to hire them five hours a day, every day for specific kind of, you know, operational functions. And so we're able to offer our kind of economies of scale to benefit them. And then we are we are starting to get into some some testing around actually fulfillment for for members. And so, you know, it's you know we started started to hear early you know success stories of like the you know the entrepreneur who moves in and they can focus on product development, or customer acquisition, and we kind of handle the messy kind of logistics. The logistics, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, like the the analogy that's made a lot of sense to me is like the. You know, the, the same way these businesses use Shopify as kind of the front end of their business to build a storefront and have a shopping cart. Like there's a big opportunity for Saltbox on the back end to of their business to, yeah. to, to both like, you know, help them be successful, but it also creates a very tight integration between us as the operator and them as the, the member, which from a real estate partner standpoint means, you know, predictable, stable, you know, revenue. And so we have this benefit of being a, a flex operator, but we have an opportunity to have really strong kind of sort of stickiness with our, our members and, and, you know, lifetime value with these, these groups. So, so when I interviewed Ecom spaces, they said they lost zero members through COVID because their members need their space. And I thought, yeah. you know, wow, that's really powerful that you're serving them in a, in a way that, you know, is really fundamental to their business. They probably, it's hard for them to go to you and go back to the garage, right? Yeah, they um, can't just pack up their laptop and work from home. At the end of the right. day, their businesses exist in the physical physical world. And so, yeah, just, just the same as they had, we we had near 100% occupancy. Not only that, we had a wait list that grew through COVID. So um, definitely a uh, different experience from what I'd, I'd, you know, seen in other kind of real estate, you know, asset classes. But I think partly speaks to, you know the, the 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 benefit that these businesses have from operating within a, a salt box, but also just like you know the 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 trends that are happening around you know digital kind of retail, and and how that's you know creating an army of these small small businesses to serve that that demand. So again, the theme of your careers I I find so interesting because you saw this happen in residential real estate and then commercial office and now you know, warehousing and it's right. All sort of similar, like, wow, it's life-changing when you layer services over things that were just kind of commodities before, or that people just simply, you know, didn't have access to. So I'm curious about your customer acquisition. If 
people don't know, like, do you struggle with sort of the co-working challenge of, well, your biggest competition is that people don't know you exist? Yep. Yeah. Is that, is that a struggle for your model? Yeah, it's the same, you know, it's hopefully it's all differently. I mean, imagine it was all differently, but it's the same challenge, challenge of there's not an existing channel for, you know, these companies to go out and yeah. first of all, know that space exists, but also right. find, find these spaces. And so you have to create like a direct acquisition, you know, model. And that involves, you know, early starting with paid spend or, you know, sort of benefiting from the halo effect of starting in Atlanta and having our co-founders based in Atlanta, but you have to yeah. make it sort of scalable and predictable. And that involves uh, real, real investment in creating these channels. And then you have, you know, local strategies that we'll have to test around community engagement, small business groups, working with yeah. local brokers and educating them on what we do. And yeah, there's, I guess, a somewhat predictable pattern of like, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you have to, how do you build this? But, you know, for each of these businesses, it's a challenge in the early days. Yeah. Because with co-working in the commercial space, at least people are, there are people who look for office space, right? And so to your point, do people even know there's an option to get out of the garage beyond? Yeah. How does that look? Do they go to a broker first? Do they? So I'm curious about your broker program. Is that something you brought from Industrious or was that in place? I don't see often... That was in place. They they figured okay. out quite a few things before before I got here. Okay. But but again, it's like you you can say you have a broker program and you can you can handle it reactively. It's just how do you how do you manage a broker program if you find it's a serious way for for building demand? And so it's going to you know take thinking through: is this a function? You know, is it a specific function we have to build out? Is there a team behind it? Is there investment behind it? Right now, it's still we're still in those like you know very early days. We're like. You just need to hit some singles and doubles and that's, that's good enough to hit our, our goals. But, you know, we're quickly, you know, peeking ahead to what's happening the second half of this year or next year and and starting to get much more, much more thoughtful about how we build this company. So you also run a management agreement model for Saltbox. Is that right? Yeah, it's a, I guess a hybrid um, strategy, which is, I think the, for me, like the way I think these businesses need to consider like the way they, they grow is like there is not a kind of a one size fits all approach. You're really solving a problem for, for your real estate partners. And you have to be able to tailor your business and the way you partner with those businesses or par- partner with them based on their specific kind of pain points. And so, you know, the way you you work with a read is very different from the way you work with a you know regionally focused, you know, GP that's going out and you know, acquiring assets. And so we have primarily focused on, on management agreements, which to me is a catch-all term for profit sharing management agreements are kind of what people think of, but there's also uh, revenue share, which are more, I guess, technically it's a lease, but it's another way of sort of reducing your, reducing the, the, the liability or risk for as an operator, but also creating more shared incentives between kind of the, the operator and, and and real estate. But again, you've got to figure out like how to how to maneuver against these these different structures. And so we always like talk about having two customer groups here. We have our members, but we also have our our real estate partners. And we need products for both. Yeah. And so that's the that's the way we we kind of dance and, and management agreements themselves create a lot of you know challenges for the business as well. So we have to think you know, about the, you know, the structures, the risks, the operating constraints that it creates. 
and, and make sure we don't create a, you know, a, a giant kind of, you know, nest of problems that we have two years from now when we look back at our portfolio and say like, you know, what, what do we create here? Like, this is really, you know, complicated and difficult to manage. We're and to report really on like, and to, yeah, all the. Yeah. So we can, we can solve that because we've, we've had the experiences. We can say from day one, this is the right way to, you know, these are the things we want to focus on as priorities to achieve in these partnership discussions. And these are things that we, we can, you know, be fine with that don't need to be solved for. So I'm curious, industrious obviously had success with management agreements, but they can be challenging to do depending on the asset owner and their capital structure. And is that this is that a similar challenge in the industrial sort of asset class? Yes and no. It's a similar challenge that we'll we'll run into. The our, our approach has been We've been very, very careful about selecting right now only a handful of partners that we're working with. And our, our strategy is a little bit different from, from co-working in that the, the partners that we're, we're working with are acquiring industrial assets. And then we have a basically a programmatic management agreement, okay. a revenue share agreement with them. And so, you know, we've already like figured out with that partner, okay, how, how do we want to structure this portfolio of locations that we're going to build with you? And then now the focus is not on finding more partners or basically creating more structures. It's like, just go execute, find these buildings, find good locations. And we're able to move very quickly with, with right now only three partners. And so there's a lot more focus that we can bring. It also means we will have only essentially three types of operating agreements for, for our portfolio in these early days, which again, appealing back to my operator days is a is, is amazing for, for yeah. our team. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, significantly lower the the you know the the pain, but also the cost of kind of managing this this portfolio. So we've been we've been fortunate to have like just really great relationships with these these partners, and are sort of not taking it for granted that that we're a little bit ahead of where we should be from that standpoint. Yeah. So the your first ex- so Atlanta, Dallas, and then Seattle. Does the will the model be focused in major markets, or does this you know how far does it extend outside of major markets? So for now, it's major what's your what's your guess? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so. The I think we we've, we've said publicly, you know, in the next you know four to five years, we want about a hundred locations around the country. So that will probably pull us out of major markets. It's just a question of when we we go into those markets, and so we have, have really. Uh, spent a lot of time thinking about how we build out our network. You know, which are the first cities we want to go into? Which are the partners that are going to help take us yeah. into those cities? Yeah. And then, you know, finding the right submarkets, addresses within those metro areas is another kind of art slash science that we have to figure out. So I think for now, like, again, I said, it's kind of, we're, we're in the world of like, you know, batting singles and doubles. So like we can pick like Seattle and Los Angeles and Denver and, and you know New York or you know other other kind of major centers and know that we'll be be okay. It's just you know at some point we need to test the model in you know second tier third tier cities and I think part of that could also just be opportunistic that we just find an amazing building Partner. and there's a yeah. lot of reasons to to go That'd through it. I think also as we we really lean into the fulfillment side of our 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 model, then that'll that'll introduce some strategic reasons why. By having some salt boxes in certain regions or certain certain cities might become very important to us or to to our members specifically. Yeah. So that's all. Um, to I be think t- top on my list for you would be on the fulfillment end. 
deals with carriers. Like I just ordered two items from Etsy and we were just talking about this at dinner last night. It took weeks to get them. One was a pair of bookends and one was a pair of earrings for my daughter. And literally I ordered them both on April 26th. It's May 17th. I mean, you know, I just was like, where, where have these been? And I think they shipped them fairly. It's just like, you know, so I thought, oh, they're probably shipping on the slow boat because they're making their own individual, you know, there's no group pricing, right? With UPS or FedEx and yeah, yeah just a, a personal pain point I could imagine, right? That's easy for you to solve when you bring all those folks together. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it's sort of our, our economies of scale can be helpful to these these businesses. And then you know, as we, we we talk about, you know, getting into fulfillment or really kind of building, you know, services that solve problems for for members, that's going to go to get it pull us deeper into areas like, you know, actual like shipping or partnerships beyond kind of the, the traditional carriers to help offer our businesses better better choices. Um, so one other quick question about the consumer side of the model or the yeah your your customer is, I see no pricing on your website. I couldn't find it anyway. And so I was curious, is it more of a consultative sell where you bring someone in and you say, okay, what's your business? What do you, you know, you, you can't really have a, you know, a package that you offer on a yeah. website. I mean, you've stumbled into the fact that we're a startup and we don't do everything as well as we will six months. <laughs> no, from no, now, I'm not thinking. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is very strategic. That's what I thought. <laughs> no, so there might be no strategy. It should be on the website. <laughs> it, it may have been taken off as a result of some iteration that we made. So yeah, it's there. there is going to be, there is education that has to happen through kind of the the marketing and sales funnel that these members follow, yep. but there, there definitely is going to have to be like, you know, price introduction at some point. Yeah. So that but it's they, challenging. I always, I'm constantly talking on the podcast, like, look, people who didn't know about coworking may not know like what's a flex desk or a dedicated desk. Right. And so yeah. I, I kind of like the, the consultative selling, like get them in the space and show them all the things that are possible and create a package. I mean, maybe you feel like you have to have starting point so that they're willing to come in, but I could see in your case, there's just a lot of layers that you could add to what you're providing, you know? So I think, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it was literally a conversation this morning around when do you introduce the, you know, the services that we're selling? Is that something you want to educate them on? at the beginning because that might in itself convince someone to move into a salt box or is that too much to kind of overwhelm? You know, yeah. Overwhelm. And like, this is, this is not like a, this is a co-working specific problem. This is a, you know, sales development yep. problem. And then this is where we can like, you know, bring in expertise outside of like, even, you know, the flex or real estate mm-hmm. world and say like, you know, how did you do this at, at kind of your SMB you know, enterprise software company. And like, that's a great way to like, think about how to do it here. And that's my favorite thing to do is I feel like sometimes we're all drinking our own Kool-Aid and well, how does so-and-so do it? And everybody sells, you know, the same sort of package of, and and when you take a step back and you say, well, is that how the right consumer buys, you know, what language do they understand? I will say in case you're feeling anxious about your website, the, I mean, the text on your website is very simple and straightforward. And to me, it's so clear if someone, you know, does find you, you know, purpose-built spaces for entrepreneurs with physical goods. It's where entrepreneurs who work with physical goods get the flexible warehouse space and logistics support they need, plus the co-working amenities and community they want. But, you know, it's just like, look, that's me. When, you know, when I, if I was that yeah. person, when I come to your website, oh, that's, you know, that's me. 
which is so critical. A lot of folks, I think, yeah. really miss that just super clear, direct messaging. And I'm sure, you know, websites on your list of, well, what is, yeah, what is next? You So you raised $10 million, which is not yeah. the first round of funding. What's on yeah. the what's on the list for growth? So there's sort of a near term aspect to that, and then then the longer term. The near term is we're we're in the middle of filling our our Dallas location, which opened up a couple months ago. So just keep keep our heads down, focus on that, like filling that on on time, which looks like we're we're on pace to do. Will be the most helpful thing that we can do for a real estate acquisition side. So yeah. that's priority number one. You know, focusing a lot on this logistics kind of fulfillment product development is also very, very important for us, given that it's a, it's a meaningful driver of value to, to our members. And it's, you know, for, for us too, we think about where this, this goes in, in three, five years. And, and I think like the, the conversation about where to place your business is a, is a decision between like, not, not to, I guess, disparage co-working, but a little bit of a commodity decision, right? Like, you know, it's, do I want to work in this place at this price or this place at this price? And like, you know, if you showed up at an industrious or we work, they're both nice places to work, different snacks, different kind of like, you know, feel on a day-to-day basis, but different um, custom wallpaper. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But for for us, like true differentiation will be around, you know, these, these, these services that we're providing. And these are services that are, that will be kind of like core, core to our members' businesses and critical to do really, really well. Because if we're actually in the way of like, you know, handling product for them and fulfilling orders for them, if we have team members who are performing functions for them, like that's mission critical to to our members. So we're being very thoughtful about how to, you know, sort of plan, test it out. We've got some really great product people here who are sort of walking through, you know, the member experience with with some some members we've chosen for for some, some of these early products and, and do it well. And that's, you know, kind of a a launching pad for, for more things that we can do. So that's another big area of focus. And then the last one is really around, you know, real estate acquisition, design, construction, like, you know, that, that all you can't take for granted goes well, even with, you know, sort of the early success we've had on the partner side, you got to execute against those partnerships and deliver the buildings in good conditions on time, on budget, you know, all the things you got to do yeah. <laughs> um, as a real estate <laughs> company. Not that we, you know, there is a debate about whether, how much of a real estate company we are, but it's, it's important to kind of recognize that's really important for our partners. So those are our objectives. And then we were peeking ahead into 2022 and, and, and starting to build the, you know, the operational infrastructure we need so that we can do this well, we can hire, you know, really well across, you know, all the cities that we need to be in and build the right system so we can, you know, manage kind of control the experience and know what's happening, you know, in the corners of our, our network. So, so yeah, lots Lots happening. My main focus these days is really just getting out there, interviewing as many people about the different functions we're doing, and, and trying to trying to convince good people to to be a part of this. Yeah, I saw you have a, a long list of job openings on the website. Tell tell us a little bit about you know to share any secret sauce. But you mentioned an app where members can hire, and w- what else do they do in the app? Yeah, so it's evolving. I think right now it's you know pull up your, your membership information, billing, you can choose kind of, we offer equipment rental or, or space, space booking, the conference rooms, photography yep. studios on site. So simple functions like that. Then we get into this e-force product line where they can basically, you know, see who's available, book them for 15 minutes during the day 
or, you know, reserve them for, for several hours a day, every day. And then, you know, as we start to get, you know, right now, fulfillment's very kind of, you know, hands-on from, from our standpoint, but like, if we are looking at their, their shopping cart and thinking about our own staffing availability and, you know, what's happening with their own inventory like that, that there's a kind of a layer of software that may need to be built that will, will tie into other mm. great software solutions that are out there as well. So yeah, looking, looking at making some, some good investments there since it, it does kind of manage a, a critical part of our process going forward. So that's a custom built app. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. another competency that I'm sure you're right trying yeah. to develop among the team because that's also right. Make no small plans when you're building your own technology. Yeah. So I yeah, I, it's such an interesting model because it seems so simple when you just think about co-warehousing. And then when you think about everything you can layer into what you provide you can have a real impact on how somebody grows their business, which is to your point, I think we like to think about that in co-working. It's harder, it's harder to really execute because you can't sit next to somebody and coach them, you know, through their day and you can offer sort of light, you know, virtual assistant services and things like that. But you can really in your model kind of go deep on what their yeah. business evolution looks like. That's neat. Yeah. And I think the the other challenge i think i think co-working does a good job of that like i i had at common we had teams working out of industrial spaces so i had firsthand experience like what 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 it was like to to work and they were they were happy i love visiting those offices but it's as an operator it's really hard to measure like are you right. are you actually you know influencing the experience are you making it better you know whatever your your objective is versus i think here we'll know like we'll have really strong feedback loops about what we're we're actually accomplishing with these these members and it's just a, it's a different environment that we're that we're in which i think for me means this is a this is going to be a different type of company than kind of a even even like you know the term co-warehousing a little i think is a little bit sort of sells the the idea short it um, totally it undersells what's yeah. what's possible. Yep. Yeah. Well, there yes, I think so you gotta start somewhere. So. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of terminology challenges in our industry that I think people would like to fix, but right, get you got other things on the plate. Well, yeah. I appreciate you sharing what you're up to and kind of the the story and a little, you know, background of what you're hoping to accomplish. I look forward to following. The next couple of years are gonna be exciting. You've picked some exciting, you know niches to jump into never a dull moment as as these evolve definitely no it's been fun i appreciate the conversation yeah well thanks for joining us we'll have to to revisit in a you know a year or two and and see where things are at thanks for the times you've been definitely thanks a lot